0: What did you eat for breakfast?
1: Uh, I just had an egg and bacon roll and a coffee.
0: Welcome to Music On Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 121. This episode is sponsored by Ignite Your Music Career. You may remember in episode 90, I chatted to Craig Dodge about sync licensing and how he makes a living through writing music for TV, video games, and film. Musicians all over the world subscribe to Ignite Your Music Career and earn more royalties, more upfront sync fees, and more recurring revenue from their music. Whether you're a composer, singer-songwriter, band, beatmaker, or instrumentalist, your music can be earning you more money. Internationally acclaimed composer, musician, and music educator Craig Dodge has licensed his music in more than 1,000 TV show episodes, films, video games, and ads all over the world, and he will show you how you can too. Ignite gives you the information you need in a simple, accessible format, and you learn at your own pace. For just $6 a month, you get a video lesson each week on topics related to music licensing, from writing techniques to how to find your markets, and everything in between. You also get tools and activities to build the skills you need to be successful, and each lesson includes a royalty-free sound pack to download and use in your own music. The key to success in the music business today is to diversify your sources of revenue. Ignite will show you how. For more information or to subscribe to Ignite, visit the website at terrace studioscom or click the link on musiconyourownterms.com. Joining me for a chat this time around is Dylan Blackman, who runs Music Minds Collective, a digital marketing agency that helps indie musicians run better campaigns to find new fans and be more effective with existing followers. We talk about Dylan's background as a musician, how he got into his day job as a performance and sound production lecturer at a technical college, and how he ended up working in marketing. Dylan also shares some great insights into what makes a successful marketing campaign, both during a release as well as the in-between release times where he suggests you should still be working hard to gain a following so that your next release is even bigger. If you enjoy the podcast and want to show your support, I'd be really grateful if you would consider signing up for the mailing list to stay in the loop with everything going on with the show. Just head over to musiconyourownterms.com and click the link. While you're there, you can also visit the store and grab some merch, or just buy me a coffee and help out with the running costs of the show. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today I'm hanging out with Dylan Blackman from Music Minds Collective all the way in the future, tomorrow morning, so how you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So yeah, let's let's get into it. If you wouldn't mind talking about what Music Minds Collective is and what you do.
1: Yeah, totally. Our Music Minds Collective is a, a, a digital marketing agency that I run. It's a bit about me, though. Is like first and foremost, I'm a music educator. I teach music theory, songwriting, sound production um, at a, uni- yeah, a university here in Australia. So Music Minds Collective is kind of my side hustle, my side passion. Awesome. And and what we do predominantly is um, help independent artists grow their fan base online, just using predominantly uh, Facebook ads, but also help, I guess, teach artists to other organic growth strategies that they can use for social media as well and a bit of like funnel marketing
0: fantastic your tagline i read which i really like is digital marketing that helps indie musicians become financially sustainable online which obviously is a huge topic i mean we're still we're a year in from from the pandemic so it's more important that kind of thing's more important than ever so fantastic let's dig into your past a little bit so how did you get into music i mean you you, you play guitar and bass is that correct
1: yeah correct so i'm a musician myself awesome yeah guitar bass my uh, prominent instruments i got into playing guitar i got given a guitar as a birthday present when i was younger and just fell in love with it, really, like Mm. something I was super passionate about, I guess, from a young age. And as a dorky kid growing up, it also became a bit of like a security blanket in a way, I guess, as well, and a way Mm -hmm. to express myself in just ways that words, couldn't, you know. So I guess kind of how a lot of people get into music, really.
0: Fantastic. I guess
1: it sort of gives us that sense of belonging, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely. No, I totally feel that. So you've also done... I saw I was trolling your LinkedIn. You were stalking me online, weren't you? I was. <laughs> and you know this because you just accepted my request. Yeah, I I noticed you had done a a diploma in in counselling. Yeah. At Applied Psychology Australian College of Applied Psychology. Yeah. Which that that definitely piqued my interest because obviously you're doing marketing, you're teaching. So what would you say, well, first of all, why did you do that? I guess I should have really started with why did you get into marketing, but we'll, we'll backtrack. Why did Why did you decide to do a psychology uh, course? Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a
1: sideways turn, or looks like a sideways turn on the surface. I got into it because I moved down to Melbourne a few years ago and had a bit of a, I guess, an existential crisis, mm. particularly... Um, I guess, sort of like an identity crisis with who I was as a musician and sort of what was my purpose in life. Uh, I was questioning all of those things at the time. And it was because, you know, came from a a small regional area uh, in New South Wales, moved down to Melbourne, sort of, I guess, you could say, I guess it's like the unofficial music and coffee capital of Australia, Mm -hmm. So I was going out to gigs and just immersed uh, and surrounded by such amazing musicians that I was just kind of like, what, what am I doing? It was a real fixed mindset kind of um, way of thinking about things. It was just where I was at at the time though and started questioning. I was like, well, oh man, should I? Who am i if i if I'm not a musician and I'm never going to be as good as all these other muses and rah, rah, rah and I was just thinking about other things I guess I could study for a for a career and you know psychology counseling and I guess behavior change came across my radar and and mm-hmm. I was interested in it so so I did it I said before it seems like a bit of a a sideways turn upon first glance, but I think music and the the power of music and the the impact that music has on people is so closely parallel to the helping services such as like psychology and counseling because i guess first and foremost what we do as musicians is we move people emotionally we help Uh. facilitate emotions within people and that's such a a powerful amazing i guess vessel for change within people and you know like on a tangible level how many people do you know that you go man that song just got me through such a hard time or that song saved my life this artist you know i just love them so much and i've i i feel like i belong here because you know they these guys get me they've never met me but these this for some reason this artist just you know the lyrics how did they know that song was about me (laughs) you know for sure so music i think on so many levels parallels with psychology and so yeah,
0: that's how I got into it. That's awesome. after you've done that training and what has that kind of lent itself or what what has it taught you about marketing?
1: Well marketing I guess in its essence is it's kind of it's persuasion it's mm. um, there's so much psychology uh, that goes on within marketing, but we we I guess um we have these connotations of the psychology within marketing as being sort of like sleazy mm. but I don't think that's necessarily has to be that way fundamentally, you know, marketing is just, just trying to persuade someone to take an action. So you're trying to create that change as well. So understanding mm. human behavior, I guess, is a, uh, it's just a, a must for marketing as well, but marketing and psychology,
0: like uh, I think they're quite interlinked. Definitely. Awesome. The next question it was just going to be, uh, you know, what have you, what, what has that taught you about actually working with the clients? Like, so, so marketing is persuading people and, you know, in some ways you're solving somebody's problem. So it's not sleazy in that respect, Mm. but uh, if you're working with bands and you're working with artists that are trying to, you know, become successful financially, like how, how has that training kind of taught you to, I guess, massage them? Let's, let's say.
1: That's a really great question. And I'm I'm sure it has helped in so many ways. I've just never thought about how it's helped. Mm. The first thing that's coming to my mind is that uh, sort of psychology uh, or the training and counseling and stuff. One of the ways in which, like I said, a strategy that pops up in counseling sometimes is it's called reframing. Mm -hmm. Essentially, it's trying to change change the meaning of a, a situation yes, um, or looking at it from a different perspective, essentially. I have a lot of clients that come to me hoping to, to achieve quite a lot uh, in terms of marketing fan base growth with like a single campaign. So some of my job is uh, reframing those expectations, mm. I guess, because there is no silver bullet in terms of marketing and fan base growth. Having said that, you know there is there is a, a lucky one percent, but they 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 are the the minority. So the ninety nine percent, there is no silver bullet. There's, there's things that you can do for sure, and um, but there's not just one thing that's going to be uh the be all and end all when it comes to marketing. It takes takes a
0: whole uh, myriad of
1: different things and 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 constant ongoing mm. um, commitment to it as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I I liken it to the uh, the compound interest model. Yeah. In terms of you you know you just you you got to put your uh, your consistent output, and then over time, you know the 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 views go up because you've put more into it. And I think that's half of where, or I don't know half, but that's a lot of where the algorithms come in is they see you put this consistent effort in, and then each one gets consistent continually better and better you get blips along the way that you know something goes viral but in general it's just be consistent and put out good quality stuff
1: yeah and eventually the improvements compound on themselves exactly from being slight improvements at the start to being
0: kind of bigger lips just like compound interest yep exactly so um what what prompted you to get from you know you you were you were a musician uh, I'm assuming first, how did you get into uh, marketing itself? Like, did, where 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 did you start doing that? Was it in high school? Did you do a course in college? I haven't had any formal training. Sort of just popped up
1: for me a few years ago. I just started getting interested in. I, I think it, it it arose from a from a, a frustration and a a, a problem I, that I had as mm. a musician was I was releasing music and just to like tumbleweed and crickets you know no Mm -hmm. no love no views it's disheartening um as a musician when you put so much energy and love and care into something and you put it out in the world because you want to share it with other people and then for for nothing to come back it, it can be disheartening so it's sort of my interest in it sparked out of that because i was like well you know how do you get People to to listen to your music. What's what's the magic there? And then it was you know the answer was was marketing. And the question then changes too. Is like well, how can we get more people to to listen to it? Or how can we do this more effectively? And then, and then start getting better answers. And you know then you know we'd be just be chatting with with other musician friends, and they're like you know I'm releasing music and uh struggling and i'd just be like oh you know i looked i looked this up the other day why don't why don't you try that and started getting a bit of a reputation amongst my friends as mm. you know i oh, you know this guy you oh you really see music you should have a chat with dylan because um he's got some cool ideas and it was just stuff that i was researching online but it wasn't until i um heard the creative juice podcast by an entrepreneur that i started getting into digital marketing and, and using facebook ads to help oh. artists those guys are absolutely incredible i love what they're doing and i what i love about what they're doing and what i love about uh using facebook ads over any other kind of um, marketing channel or strategies the level of data that's attached to it as well it gives you some objective metrics to, to show you, well, you know, did this do well or did this not? So there's some, you know, we can measure it against expected KPIs, stuff like that. So I guess in a way it sort of appeals to my
0: nerdy brain. (laughs) Right. For sure. It's it's funny, you, you know, you do promote like using those advertising avenues. The first episode I did this year was all about marketing as well, and it, it wasn't, a case of like not doing it per se but the, the opinion uh my friend Jonathan said basically the, those types of uh marketing you know paid marketing work better when there's a tangible product versus something intangible like music or your brand I mean I guess I guess anytime you're putting money into something that pushes something in an algorithm it's going to push your brand overall but it's I think the point he was trying to make is that it was more difficult because there's no real action item. Like if, you, if you're pushing a product, the buy button's right there. So totally. you can measure the amount you spend on the ad to the amount that you're generating in the sale. Whereas I think an intangible product... It's like a, a, an easier ROI. Yeah, exactly. The, ROI, the ROI is very difficult to measure on something that doesn't have a buy button. Totally. It can be. It can be a bit more convoluted, for sure.
1: But having said that, you know, even even if it's less effective for intangible stuff, I, I in my experience, I'm speaking, but from my from my experience, um, I still find it more tangibly effective than other forms of, I guess, common music marketing strategies like, hmm. you know, pitching for for blogs. Perhaps nothing, nothing against yep. that. And it's got its place, and I think it's, um, it works wonders. But I, I definitely the the ROIs is harder to calculate when you don't have that immediate. Like we spent a dollar mm. in ads, how much did we make back in terms of product type thing? But I still think in in the scheme of things, you know, Facebook ads perform better or more tangibly. Sorry, more and more like it's more immediate to see the payoffs of. The ads, then, and say something like, "We we put our music up, you know, used a PR agent to get our music up on a on a blog. We spent this much, and how do we measure the, the ROI there? I think it's that's a bit more complex than than advertising to
0: to do that. Absolutely. Again, nothing against music blogs and PR agents. No, but again, it's it's. I, I think if you touch base on everything in some way, shape, or form, I don't know if you could only pay a pr agent you know ten dollars or something but you know if you, if you do touch base on every form of marketing across the board in some way shape or form something's gonna some I, I think it comes back to that oh what's the study where you you have to get five points of view or people have to see your thing five times or something mm-hmm. in order to get like oh you know, I've seen I've seen that somewhere else. I'm I'm interested in that product. I'll buy it, or I'm interested in that song. I'll listen to it. Whereas if you're just putting it in front of their face the first time, it's unlikely to actually hit the mark. And one time only to yeah, yeah. It takes
1: um, numerous
0: touch points before someone's likely to take action on mm. on something for sure. So going back, you know, I'm kind of circling back to what to what you do in general. Is your your main job as a lecturer? college at university yeah yeah so yeah how how did you get in get from being into music to lecturing about you know production performance sound that kind of thing so so moved down to melbourne for a few years that's what i was doing psychology
1: just had a day job and i was in in some bands down there and then me and my partner decided we wanted to move back up to i live in uh, northern new south wales which is sort of like on the border, border of New South Wales and Queensland. Uh-huh. There's a, it's called TAFE. It's like a, a technical college. There's a TAFE up in on the Gold Coast, Queens, yeah. like South East Queensland, uh, that a mate of mine works at. You know, I just was, uh, when we came back up, was at a barbecue with, with my mate. And um, I was like, oh, we're looking for work, looking for a job. And he's like, oh, well, you know, TAFE's, Uh, looking to hire some teachers, all you need to do is go out, get this, uh, qualification, which is just like a training and assessment type, you know, how to be a teacher in a TAFE Mm -hmm. kind of qualification. And then yeah, got in, got the job and I've been doing that, doing that for a few years now ever since. That's good.
0: Yeah. So TAFE, I looked up tech and further education and that's, that's a, is that, that's like a, um, a group of universities across Australia? Or technical colleges across Australia.
1: Yeah, so it's not um it's not quite university, but it is, it's you know our system in Australia we call it tertiary education. So you you walk away with you know certificates or diploma. Mm. Say you know you finish high school, you walk away with uh, you know equivalent of maybe certificate two or certificate three. You can learn that or get those uh, qualifications and skills. In in TAFE, TAFE predominantly sort of is more like trades based, or yep. we have like nursing uh, as well, and like beauty, information technology. So so it's across a whole range of different skills and stuff. And so it's kind of like that halfway in between. It's not it's not quite university, but it's not like high school level teaching. It's right so it's post that high school kind of college level.
0: Yeah, that's it's that's basically what I did in England. Do you, do you guys finish at 16 in high school? Same as England?
1: No, uh, high school, I guess the finishing age is around that 18 age. Okay.
0: Yeah, England's 16. I mean the, oh, so. the US, for, for U.S. listeners, I mean, it's completely different in England. Like here, it's you finish your high school and you go straight into university, but you have to do all the core classes. Where I think that tertiary college thing, at least in England for me, it was that's where you do your A-levels. Or uh, you go to the technical, you know, side, which is what I did, and then you know the core classes are, are your English, your math, et cetera, And then you go into a three-year degree that is purely your your specialty. Whereas over here, it's four years, but you have to do those core classes within that. Yeah. Right. So
1: isn't it amazing how different uh, the education system is? Absolutely. Around even just like the Western world, for sure. I wonder. I wonder if it'll ever uh, like globalize.
0: In any way. I don't know. I mean, over here, it's very money-based. I don't know. I'm sure there are. though There definitely are in England. I don't know about Australia. But here, it's a lot of it's to get people into debt purposely. And that's the biggest problem right now is everyone has these massive school loans that they can't possibly pay off. Mm. And it really didn't get them anywhere. That's so nuts, isn't it? Yeah. That's why I love not-for-profit schools. More than anything else. You still get in debt, but at least they're doing it for the right reasons. So, so we've seen, um, I don't know if this is interesting,
1: so I apologize for society. side tangent. In Australia, um, our student loans for like Australian citizens, it's called HECS. Mm-hmm. It's basically the government. Puts up the money for your studies and you pay the government back, um, but you don't start paying the government back until, you're, until you reach over like a minimum earning threshold. Mm. So, if you say you rack up 20 or 30 grand worth of uh, hex debt, you don't start paying it back till you're earning, I, I don't know what the exact number is, but like 40 or 50 grand mm. on a salary or something. So, it's good in that yeah. aspect. It doesn't put that pressure on you know, you go into an entry level job. The start of your career or something, earning, you know, less than forty, but having to pay off a, a fifty grand
0: debt or whatever. Right now, it doesn't work like that here. As soon as you leave college, it's like, no, nope, we got to start collecting on that. So it's kind of like any other debt. Yeah, basically, and it's unfortunate. in in America, the debt, like a lot of debt, you know, if you if you die or if you file for bankruptcy, gets wiped out. But school debt, typically, your parents are, are signing off on it. So, wow. and if if you go through a bankruptcy, the school debt remains, and if you die, your your parents are basically on the hook because they're the signees. Wow. So, it's like no, you have to pay it back regardless. That's an interesting system. It, it's interesting is one word. Yes. <laughs> so, but anyway, let's see. I did wanted to look into um. Yeah, actually, if we if we look into what Music Minds Collective, because that's what we're here to talk about, um, could you talk? You know, just go through the the different areas that you you touch on. We we already talked about Facebook and Instagram advertising, but you also do some stuff with release strategy, email marketing. So could we touch on that those subjects a little bit? Totally. So as I said before, I predominantly help artists um, by
1: running Facebook ad campaigns for them, uh, but also uh, help or teach artists, I guess, um, how they can use organic Mm. social media strategies to increase their fan base on social media. Having said that, I like to think of social media marketing, I guess, as like a means to an end. Mm. Um, I think it's such a great way to, to raise awareness, build a fan base online, but I think, um, artists should be funneling fans off social media onto a communication platform. Uh-huh. Uh, where, where the artist has that control and ownership. So that's why there's a focus on the email as well. You know, and why, why email? It's because, you know, email isn't subject to algorithm changes. Once someone gives you their contact, one, they've put their hand up and said, I want to I want to hear from you. I want to have a relationship with you because, you know, it's not like uh, artists, are, you know, um, putting out, uh lead magnets or anything like that saying you know get here's a pdf of the five ways to blah 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 all you need to do is give me your email address type thing like i I really think when a fan gives you their email address they're putting their hand up to a certain level of commitment they're not throwing it away like we would with the other sort of ads that we see for in exchange for our email address Mm -hmm. so i think in that sense it's a good measure to gauge a fan's commitment level and then you know email's not subject to to algorithm changes. It's not a platform where one of the intentions of the platform is try to get you to pay to be able to communicate with with your fans every time, which is you know that's Facebook's business model, so yeah. um their customers Same are advertisers, and we're sort of secondary to that as consumers of social media which is it's totally fine we we put our hands up to be part of that and i i appreciate social media in that aspect um I'm, I'm not resenting that at all but i think in terms of marketing and for artists artists' careers and developing a long career i think artists should be funneling fans off social media onto a communication platform that they that they own or have control over so so email having said that um social media you know it's really good for raising that awareness and um putting yourself in f- front of new fans and uh, developing that relationship to a point where a fan is ready to put their hand up and say let's let's take this to email so um with that some some organic strategies that I've I haven't developed them I was going to say that I've developed them but really all this stuff is or these strategies are, are strategies that I've learned from the just other titans within the digital marketing space, like mm-hmm. Seth Godin. Um, I'm Gary V fan.
0: Gary V. Yep.
1: Yeah. Even people like Ari Hurst there's so many, we, we're just here standing on the shoulders of giants really. So I don't want to take any um, undue credit for anything. Entrepreneur as well. You know, these strategies are just things that I've collected over time from, from these other people. Um, the first one, reasonably straightforward it's just content marketing actually before i go into the strategies sure i always like to think of i guess social media marketing it's kind of like going to a house party and trying to make new friends mm. i feel like it's the online version of that so content marketing is is it's kind of like you you go to the party and you fire up a conversation with someone you start telling a story hopefully it's a an engaging, entertaining story. And maybe that person that's listening is like, hey Johnny, come over and uh check this out. This this guy's telling this hilarious joke. Come on over. And it's you know, you're telling the story and you know over time it starts attracting more and more people uh-huh. that gather around and, and they're listening. So that's content marketing. The second strategy I teach to artists is called well I call it content engagement, which is the the house party equivalent of let's say you are a Metallica fan and you're in a band that writes metal music. It's like uh it's like picking out the other metal fan mm. at the uh party. You don't know them, but you walk you walk up to them and they're wearing a, a Metallica shirt and you just go, Hey man, I absolutely love your shirt like big Metallica fan and you struck up a conversation that way. So Gary V's Dollar eighty strategy is a big proponent of that. I guess a hashtag strategy on Instagram, it's that $1.80 strategy. So that's content engagement. The third that I teach artists I call community engagement. Mm -hmm. Facebook's full of groups that center around interests, whether they're musical interests or not. As artists and as bands, we have a personality, we have things that we're interested in as well that are outside of the music right and in marketing terms we we call that your brand but on a baseline level it's just just things that make you who you are right right and just before i go back into content our uh, community engagement the interests that you have i think um are going to be shared or are shared interests by the segment of your audience that you would consider super fans Mm-hmm. So I always think of it, you know, super fans are like-minded individuals by being able to understand your own interests and, you know, externalize your your branding and understand your branding, you're going to be able to easily or easier find your super fans a bit easier. For sure. So community engagement, I mean, like once you've identified what those interests are, what you're interested in, there's so many little pockets within Facebook of these groups that collect around these interests, community engagement is, there, is the house party equivalent is like going into a room where maybe they're like playing spin the bottle and for some reason you're interested in spin the bottle, right? And you jump in and you go, oh, gosh, can I play too? And you, you start participating in that group that uh, mm. shares that interest. The next one called uh, cold outreach, which is essentially kind of um, like influencer marketing in the fact that, you know, there's so many people on social media already that already have an audience that are, you know, full of your ideal fans as well. Um, if you can tap into their audience, you know, you can raise awareness that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the basis of influencer marketing. I call it cold outreach because reaching out cold to these influencers or, or these uh, people that have that are the gateway, I guess, to, to the attention of your ideal fans. So the house party equivalents, like maybe there's a DJ at the party and you go up to the DJ and you, you essentially just ask them if, if they could play one of your songs or something like that. Mm. You know, in that sense, I think a lot of artists already do influencer marketing without even thinking that they're doing influencer marketing. Cause in a way, like all an influencer is, is someone that holds the trust and attention of a group of people. Right. That's what playlisters are. hmm For sure. Playlisters hold the attention and the trust of people. The trust is that you're going to supply me with music that I want to listen to. Absolutely. On a regular basis. The
0: other, the other little analogy I like is, if I think uh, the guys from uh, CD Baby said this, you go, you uh, And maybe this is Twitter, but you go into a house party using that analogy and you just start yelling at the room. I'm awesome. (laughs) Like, listen to me. I think if you go on Twitter and you actually get a a tweet that's viral, it would be going into a house party saying, let's do shots. That's bound to get a reaction. And then everyone in that party
1: yelling let's do shots as well and it just moves down the chain yep to, exactly until, like everyone in the backyard is like
0: why are we doing shots all right i'll come in but yeah but but going back i mean the uh, the the twitter equivalent is basically yelling at people saying i'm awesome look at me and no one gives a shit yeah totally yeah <laughs> that's awesome so what do you do about release strategy it, how, i mean how can you think about that and you know what are some you know hot points to get a good release well with artists uh, so that I
1: work with, I, I try and even get them thinking pre-release. Right,
0: mm-hmm. all of these things you can be
1: doing, whether you're in the middle of the release or don't have anything to release at all. You know, you should be continuously trying to find, uh, reach new fans and and raise awareness for 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 you and and your music. So that when you are releasing new music, you've you've got more of a fan base to release it to, and it's going to be easier in that sense. And I, it's one of my hopes is that. You know, into the future, independent artists and I, guess, hopefully, all artists stop just thinking about marketing in terms of release cycles. Mm. You know, we we there's so much more that you can do in between releases as well. Marketing should be a a continuous, ongoing thing, whether whether you've got a new song coming out or not. But that doesn't answer your question. So, in terms of release strategy, essentially, what I do with an artist is I sit them down and and uh, work them through these four points, and then. Incorporate some some ads to try and supercharges as well. Mm. So we formulate a, a ongoing content marketing strategy that they can incorporate. I try and get artists to um, come up with a a content marketing strategy that's going to be more than just a means to an end to actually release some music. Something that can be enjoyable for them. That becomes you know they they do it for the sake of doing it rather than just to to try and get content out for right for, to promote their, their music for example an artist i worked with we uh came up with an idea that she she created a, a, a podcast herself mm-hmm. and she, it's um it's a podcast all about songwriting and she just interviews other songwriters and that's become more of a a passion project in and of itself rather than just a here's something i do to promote yeah my music so
0: that's that's awesome
1: so we just strategize that, teach artists, you know, I just go through all the, the organic stuff that I've been talking about. But the, I guess the first protocol is is for artists to figure out who their ideal fans are. Mm. So I have a worksheet on my website that you can, sorry, cheeky little plug. Oh, no, go for it. About to happen. It's a free worksheet on my website. It's called the Minimum Viable Fan Base Worksheet. And essentially it's, it's uh, a worksheet that will help you figure out the demographic geographic and the psychographics of your ideal fan base Mm. and the way it does that like i said your ideal fans your super fans are going to be like-minded individuals so it essentially asks you to figure out uh, what are your own interests values who do you think your related artists are stuff like that so it's essentially i guess a, a branding worksheet that then can help you find your ideal fans as well awesome so once we figure that out figure out what an artist uh, brand is come up with a content marketing strategy something that is going to be ongoing pre-release during release post-release you know because like i said it's not just during a release cycle that we should be marketing should be all the time i show them how to do content engagement what hashtags that they should be looking for depending on what their branding is community engagement I'll, i'll show them you know what they should be thinking about and doing to reach, I guess, infiltrating to those groups and become a part of the community there to help raise that awareness. And then we'll come up with some ideas of of cold outreach, essentially a bit of DIY artist driven playlist pitching. So what what are some of the um, playlists that they should be reaching out to so they can do a bit of self pitching there for Spotify, Mm -hmm. you know, YouTube influencers, so, like, vlogs that use background music, anything that relates to that where there's an opportunity for the artist that's releasing their song to get that song heard on YouTube, I guess, in the background of someone else's video. And then, I guess, on the cold outreaches as as well, you know, if the artist wants to do any any blogs or anything like that, them knowing their, their branding and who their ideal fan is will help them choose the best blogs and then self pitch from there. Awesome. And then the last thing in terms of release strategy, just come up with some ideas depending on what uh, assets that they've got attached to their release, like a music video and whatnot. Or what kind of content, maybe like an ad strategy as well, like a campaign strategy, where the the main intention of the strategy is to. Sorry, I'm just going to go on a quick side tangent to sure. explain this next thing. Have you heard of um like traffic temperature for from in for marketing no. terms like cold traffic, warm traffic, hot traffic?
0: Um, let's assume no. Okay,
1: okay. Cold traffic is people that haven't heard about you yet. They don't know who you are. Warm traffic are people that are interested. They're aware of you, and then hot traffic is, you know, like a segment of audience who are ready to buy from you. Hmm. So the the intention of the the ad strategy is to increase the warm audience using ads to, I guess, virtually introduce yourself to to um, potential ideal fans, and then retarget and ad to to that warm audience, the people that have shown interest by watching you know, X amount of your your video or um, liking your page or, you know, engaging with any posts or anything. Mm -hmm. So retargeting to that warm audience, essentially asking them to sign up for your email. And then, you know, the the ad's all about why would they want to sign up for your email, what's in it for them and stuff like that. So the intention of the the ad strategy is essentially trying to get as many people onto an email list as possible. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would do. Or what I have done, sorry, with release strategy for for artists.
0: Okay, yeah, I had two two tangent questions. I will go with I'll go go with that one. Just just thinking out loud there. Do you have any really good resources for learning about things like the Facebook uh, business management? Because that's super. I, I get in there and it's super convoluted and like I, it's, it's getting so better. Complex. Like they've been, they have been tweaking it. I have noticed, but mm. like every five minutes, every time like you try and run an ad, there's like a big warning sign. You didn't do this. It's like, I can't even find what it's talking about. Totally. But and then every it, time you log it, it on seems there's like something there's different. so many, yeah, there's so many levels, there's so many connectors. Like, is there basically, I'm looking for a Facebook marketing for dummies. That's, uh, that would be a really good resource. It would be.
1: I, I don't. I don't have one. And I, the first thing that comes to my mind would would be sign up for Indiepreneurs, uh, Indie Pro membership. They have a whole bunch of trainings that go in depth. I guess into the the Facebook uh, Business Manager ads manager setup. But also, having said that, there's some there's some good stuff on YouTube that I've come across that I share with artists that are setting up their business manager for mm. the first time, and it's, it's Classic fa- Facebook to change things every uh, couple of minutes to to the point where we've we've got a business suite now instead of business manager and ads manager, so that's different again. So I, I find myself sharing some videos with clients that come back and say, "Hang on, my, why does mine look different?" Again, it's because they're using you know business suite because it's updated for some people, not for others. It's it's always changing. So that's why. Um, I usually just recommend some some YouTube videos or something because someone's uh, going through the latest updates or something and it's changing too quickly, I think, to sort of stay on top of it myself.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're not really not, I I understand. Well, they are, they're going after the people that use the most money. I think I'm almost wondering why, you know, they're, they're a big enough company where they could put out like a tutorial all the time and make it real like we at work we use monday.com and the videos are super helpful they 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 mm. show you exactly how it works and it i think i mean maybe the thing with behind facebook i mean this is a bit of a you know what's the word i'm looking for you know conspiracy theory type but right? maybe the fact that it's too convoluted means oh you're just pushing more money into it to make it work whereas if they made it super easy to to understand you know the the revenue would go down because you're actually targeting the people you want, and you're not spending as much on the superfluous likes and and follows. Mm. Conspiracy theory, I guess. But... Yeah, totally. Yeah. So the second the second thing I was going to ask, and this is completely off base, and you you know maybe down a rabbit hole that that won't even work as a conversation. But like as I said, we at work we use Monday.com, so I'm just wondering if you found any bands needing to use CRMs, and if there's any benefit to a CRM for a band that maybe you can get some interaction inside the CRM for email, or whether it's more for some a, a band that's like a bigger business.
1: So that is a good question. In my current experience, I haven't come across you know, anything that a, a CRM does in terms of what I cover with artists that I haven't been able to achieve with them using something like tags or I guess list segmentation Mm. within an email marketing platform. So in that sense, you know, I think list segmentation and staying on top of things like being able to follow up regularly with your fan base and stuff is important. So, you know, like uh, in that sense, a CRM is is relevant you know and I guess Mm. the the whole purpose of a CRM is to maintain that customer relationship right and we should be as artists maintaining and continuously nurturing the relationship that we have with fans so whatever tool makes that sustainable is going to be a good tool but for me personally I haven't yet come across the need for anything that I haven't been able to achieve in, in email marketing.
0: Mm. What What is your email marketing program of choice?
1: I, I'm embarrassed to say that I use MailChimp.
0: Ah, I use MailChimp.
1: And that, the, the reason I say I'm embarrassed to, to say that I use it is because I know or I listen to so many other people rave about, you know, other benefits Of other email marketing platforms that i go yeah that's cool i do like that i should make the switch or what am i doing you know like this this other one sounds so much better than mailchimp but i'm sort of stuck in the uh, resistance to change because i know i just i know how to use mailchimp and haven't made the switch
0: well that's the thing i mean i think i think a lot of times they they these other platforms may have, you know, the shiny button or or whatever, and maybe it is a better, you know, system. But the fact that you already know one program inside and out just means maybe if you switch, you're going to be less effective, at least for the first series, you know, maybe six months where you're actually learning all the quirks of that software. So honestly, maybe it's a good thing that you stay with what you know Mm. from that perspective. But it, the evil that you know than the evil that you don't. Right, like you, you're you're getting to grips with the quirks, and you know that that's sorry. that's where you 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 uh you excel. So yeah, nice. I like that. There's there's always a better mousetrap, is my point. That's true. Yeah, you know, but a mousetrap still a mousetrap. It still catches a mouse. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Very true. So let's move it on to the uh the section of my podcast that I like to dub the quickfire. fire uh, sorry, the non quickfire question round. What major negative experience have you overcome and what did that teach you in terms of marketing or in general in terms of anything that pops to mind Oh man that's such a great big question Mhm how long do we have As long as you want
1: what big negative what big negative experience have I overcome That was the question yeah Correct
0: But what did it teach you is is kind of oh, the, yeah. the second part that's very important I guess um
1: moving when i moved down to melbourne this is just the first thing that came to my mind when i was in the midst of that uh, existential crisis where i was you know thinking of career change and studying psychology and stuff the negative experience that i had or the, the motivation that was started driving the the desire to um I guess, move away from wanting to pursue a career in music and, and explore something else, was this feeling of not being good enough. Mm. So as I said before, like when I moved down to Melbourne, there's just so many amazing musicians down there and, you know, you walk into any venue pretty much any night of the week and there's just it's just some amazing music that just blows your mind. You know, at the time I was just, was feeling disheartened by that because I was like, man, I'm just not good enough. I don't think I will ever be good enough. So in that sense, um, you know, that that feeling is a negative experience and I think it's something that a lot of musicians face at some point in their career, hopefully not so often, you know. But what came from that, you know, what, what it taught me is that, one, when I started... Studying psychology, we we started learning about fixed mindsets versus m- growth mindsets. And, and, you know, I reflected on that period. And I was like, oh, classic fixed mindset, you know, comparing yourself yeah. to others. So what it taught me was, you know, you've got to stop comparing yourself to others because there is always going to be someone who's better than you at anything. Yep. And it's so it's really not fair to compare yourself to other people when really you should be comparing yourself to who you were yesterday. Mm-hmm instead so that I guess that was a lesson that I got out of that and and two, the I guess the twofold the other lesson that I got from it was that you know when you stop comparing yourself to others you stop thinking in terms of uh, am I good enough and start thinking in terms of am I having fun is am I doing what I love and I think that's more important than you know, mm. thinking, comparing yourself to, to other people. Who who cares if um, – this is something I say to, to students because they, they face this a lot when they're studying music is who cares how well someone else plays, you know, compared to you. One, you can still walk into a room and play with them and have a lot of fun and and, and learn something from them as well. You know, like you shouldn't be threatened by better players or – shouldn't be you know when you compare yourself to others and you go i'm not good enough you you feel threatened by others but if you if you flip it on its head you can actually be like well actually this is one an amazing opportunity to learn something from someone else and mm-hmm. two like fuck man if i can, if i play with them or if i can um, anything really like am i having fun am i doing something i'm passionate about that that's all that matters
0: well, the other thing, too, is if you're watching someone play, just enjoy the music, too. Totally. Like, oh, wow, he nailed that solo. That's so awesome.
1: Yeah. Instead of, you know, watching them going, oh, I could never do that, you just rather you just go, fuck, yeah, this is sick. How good. Yep. I get to be a part of this. Sorry Absolutely. for swearing.
0: No, you're fine. I already broke the, uh, the watershed anyway. Um, and, yeah, and the other thing, too, is, you know, if you do say that, oh, I, I could never do that, you're right, because you just put it in your mind. Totally.
1: Totally. And even if it's true, like at the end of the day, so what? I'm sure there's plenty of things that you could do that someone else couldn't do. But also too, it doesn't matter. Like, As long as you're enjoying and what you're doing and you're passionate about what you're doing.
0: Absolutely. So flipping the original question around, what major positive experience has given you the push to follow this journey?
1: The first thing that, came to my mind was when i got the job as as a teacher i was feeling somewhat anxious apprehensive about making such a big move melbourne to northern new south wales is you know a fair distance away it's it's interstate um even though i had friends up here and stuff it was still feeling like a big shift Mm. and i was you know, concerned and anxious like, what am I going to do for work for starters? And not only really that, just big change it was feeling scary, but it, it led to, you know, going through that change where at the time you're like, oh, this is, this is scary. It led to so many fruitful things because I got a job as a teacher, not a better lifestyle, but a, a, a sunnier coastal lifestyle as opposed to cold winters of Melbourne. So the, I guess the, the, the positive experience there is, you know, like embracing embracing that change as an opportunity rather than being scared mm-hmm.
0: of change. Fantastic. Final question is what does music mean to you?
1: That's a good question. The, the first thing that came to my mind was everything, but that's a bit of a cop-out because it just, it, I don't think it answers the question too well or too clearly. I think... For me, what it means to me, and this might sound maybe overly grandiose or uh, a bit larger than life, but I think music offers us an opportunity to make an impact in the world, I guess, with the outcome that we have the opportunity to leave the world a better place than when we came into it. I think I don't underestimate the power of music in that sense, you know, there's so many different historical case studies where music has, you know, not just... Sh- it has shifted uh, cultural thinking and then, you know, the ripple effects is that it has created changes within society that have created changes within the political landscape, which then flows on to, you know, changes on a on a national level, right? Mm. Like, uh, I don't think we... Can underestimate the the impact or the potential impact that we can have as musicians for for creating change. And you know that sounds grandiose, but even even the uh, ability to lift someone's mood, even for three minutes, is such a an amazing gift that we have mm. that we can share with other people. That yeah, music yeah. It's everything in that it can, it has that potential for so much impact.
0: Fantastic. Couldn't agree more. Where, if people wants to get in touch with you or, or find out about Music Minds Collective, uh, where do they go?
1: My website is musicmindscollective.com. Okay. And I'm on Facebook, Instagram, predominantly more active on Instagram. And it's just that my handle is at Music Minds Collective, all one word. Okay.
0: Beauty. Are you on TikTok?
1: I tried TikTok for a bit. No, I didn't get into it.
0: Yeah, same here.
1: I, it has it has so much amazing potential,
0: but it just didn't fit in with with me.
1: Uh, so. Yeah,
0: I, I feel the same way. I'm too old. It doesn't work with me. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool.
1: I do want to get onto Clubhouse. I need to upgrade yes. my phone first, though.
0: <laughs> That's That has been popping up more and more. Is that still only only on Apple though? I'm um, not too sure. I'm not too sure where it's at. I know. I know a little bit ago it was still on only on Apple iOS. Right. So I'm and I'm still, out. I don't like Apple. Is it still invite only? Um, the, good to question. Try? I don't know, but so I sure. I do know. I, you know, it's been coming up more and more, and eventually I'm gonna have to do an episode about it and get True. people's experiences. So yeah, one to watch, I guess. Yeah, nice. So at the end of the uh, podcast, I like to play a song for the person I'm interviewing. So what song can we hear?
1: Yeah, right. Uh, I just sent you one of uh, my tracks. Um, my artist name is The Dwelling Light. Um, the name of the track is called Kobayashi Maru. Cool. It's just lo- some lo-fi hip-hop.
0: Awesome. What uh, What's the song about and what's the song name about?
1: It's an instrumental track, so no lyrics. But I gave it the title "Kobayashi Maru" in, in reference to to the Star Trek. I don't know if it was an episode or Not, I'm not a big uh, Star Trek fan. I just know you know Kobayashi Maru's that uh, unwinnable dilemma. But I like the uh, the idea that even in those unsurmountable odds, this sort of arose. From when I watched the Star Trek movie a couple of years ago in those, you know, p- potentially unwinnable situation, I think it was Captain Kirk or whatever, sorry to sorry to Star Trek fans because I'm <laughs> a massive Star Trek fan, but I am just, I was super interested by this concept, you know, Kobayashi Maru being an unwinnable situation, but in the movie, Captain Kirk's still, it was like persistent to try and win through it. Mm. And so what drew me to, to that and calling it that is that even in a, a situation where there is no hope, the human condition um, still persists with hope. You know, I think of it as such a pathologically ingrained thing for human beings that to, mm. to have hope even, in the, even when it just appears that all hope is gone.
0: So that's why I named it that. Fantastic. Yeah, that's that's a really good place to end on. So, you know, thank you so much for joining me today, taking time.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: Really, really enjoyed it. Really great information. Continued success. And, you know, I wish you well. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform, as this really helps get the word out about the podcast, so other musicians can benefit from the awesome knowledge that my guests are sharing. The more the musicians' community collectively learns, the stronger we will become. A rising tide lifts all ships. This episode is sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering a full range of apparel decoration and promotional items, such as screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and much more. The Skinny Armadillo is now offering a merch fulfillment service including on-demand printing and a custom-built web store so you can concentrate on your music and running your business as a musician. Visit theskinnyarmadillo.com or call 817-546-1430 to learn how The Skinny Armadillo can help you take your merch to the next level. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Dylan Blackman, also known as The Dwelling Light, with... Kobayashi Maru.